values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, good morning. Thanks for being here. Uh, a congressional delegation led by Senators Cinema and Kelly went down to the border and had a visit. Uh, and I want you to hear a little bit of the uh, response from the Yuma County Sheriff. I believe they were on with, uh, with Gatos and Chad and talking about human smuggling and what was addressed in the meeting. This is the Sheriff Wilmot from uh, Yuma County. I addressed the escalation and violence during this meeting with the, the senators when it comes to the cartels. They're buying for control because it's a lucrative business when you're talking about human smuggling. And that's something we've talked about is the sheer money that's being earned and then turned into power by virtue of of weapons and by virtue of influence that the cartels are using, that we've seen this uprising in Mexico and what's gone on. This is one of the reasons why the the growing concern continues to happen. It should be for people on the border in the U.S. He also had wanted to talk about them, what they should do and what they should be focusing on. They need to get rid of their personal and political ideologies, get back to public safety and enforcing the rule of law. I get that you don't like the immigration system, but until then, you need to enforce it, and then you can change it. And this is, again, uh, such a complex problem because it does involve border security. There's two separate issues that are intertwined, and uh, there is border security, which is a national security issue, and so many other things that are involved there. The reports that keep coming in on people known on the terror watch list that are being stopped at the border. We don't know how many gotaways there are. There are so many people that are unaccounted for that have entered the country illegally. All of these things happen. The other side of this coin, the other thing that's intertwined here is our immigration system. There's no doubt about that. And I, I've said many times, I think it needs to be said every time we talk about this, we do need to fix our immigration system. The problem is, I talk about it so much, you probably talk about it being in a border state quite often. But nothing ever seems to get done, and this is where the frustration continues to build. You've got a border sheriff like this and Sheriff Wilmot talking about put your political differences aside because for me and for you many times this is an ideological problem. We don't necessarily – we don't see it firsthand. We feel it in some ways. I mean our systems are strained. We understand all of that. They're dealing with the element of this all the time, and this is one of the other things the sheriff talked about was what are the medical costs? What are the costs of illegal immigration? Six months, it was $20 million that uh, impacted our local hospital because immigrants coming across illegally ended up in the hospital being treated for their various illnesses. You know, we are a humane people. We are not going to let people be sick or die in the streets. We're not going to do that. We take care of them. That's what we do when people are on our soil. But this is where, and I, I continue to harp on this, the idea that we aren't holding our elected officials responsible and holding them accountable. Um, Border security is a difficult issue, but it's also very simple in making sure that we have the people that are necessary, we have the structure that is necessary, we have the technology that is necessary to stop people from coming. But more important than that, what needs to happen is a shift in policy. There needs to be a very strong policy from this administration – 
that says to the world, we are going to welcome people in a, in a system and in a fashion that is orderly. And if you come outside of that order, you will not only be deported, you will go to the back of the line. You will not gain entry into the U.S. through legal means until everybody that did it the right way has. There's nothing wrong with that in its simplest form. And, I, you know, I know this sounds very silly, but think about going going to Disney. I, I grew up going to Disney World and how crowded it is when you have those very long lines to get on rides. If a family were to go to the front of the line and the people that own the park, you said, hey, wait a minute. We've been standing in line for an hour and a half waiting to get on this ride. Those people just walk to the front of the line and they say, you know, this is a family that's dream has always been to come to Disney World. And so we have allowed them to do that. And by the way, they're already at the front of the line. Let's just let them on the ride. You'd be furious. And I know it's a lot more complex than that because we're talking life or death for people in some cases. We have a system in place for people that are facing life and death. We have an asylum system in place in this country that is being abused by people. The administration knows it. The Congress knows it. The citizens know it. And so do people around the world because they know how to abuse it. So when we talk about enriching the cartels, look at the uprising of the cartels in Mexico. Look at the battle that just happened recently where a lot of soldiers were killed. Look at what's happening there and the destabilization of parts of that country. They are a great trading partner. They are good people. Um, They are a, a society that deserves stability and prosperity just like we do. And we are a part of what's happening there in the destabilization because we aren't doing anything on our side of the border or we're not doing nearly enough on our side of the border to stop the human trafficking. Now, the morality of it is on all levels it's wrong. People that are coming are being trafficked. People that are coming here, young girls are being forced into the sex trade. I I wish... I guess maybe I'm glad that more people haven't had an inside look or had somebody talk to them about what that sex trafficking is really like. Because once you see a little bit of it, once you have a little bit of insight into it, it becomes so disturbing that you can't unsee it. And you can't believe that human beings are capable of doing this, enslaving other human beings and then forcing them into the most degrading acts possible for money. And that's exactly what happens. Young men are forced into the the drug trade and muling drugs, and young women are being forced into the sex trades. And it is something that is demoralizing. It has long-term implications on someone's emotional well-being. It is absolutely wrong, and it happens all the time. And we are a part of allowing it to happen by emboldening and enriching these cartels. So the Senate delegation that goes down there and they go down and they um, they meet at the border and they get a view of what's there and then they have a roundtable meeting and a discussion. I think it's valuable. I, I don't think it was just optics because they went down and they looked at some of the realities and they talked to some of the people that are facing it every day. But now what you have to have is a piece of legislation that can get through both houses of Congress and you have to have a president that will sign it. And we've got to get things done by legislation. If the president of the United States is not going to change his policy, if President Biden is not going to change the policies of his administration, then the president of the United States is going to have to have a piece of legislation on his desk that changes the law. We have laws on the books that could be enforced that could dramatically reduce all of these things. 
and we could still treat people humanely that have the right to come here for asylum based on American laws. But we are not doing that. We have not put a priority on this. And I think that's where the problem lies. We have not made it a priority. This administration has shirked its responsibilities. The trip down to the border is proving day after day now more and more that there was another photo op, that there's not even a discussion going on about it after the president went. The conversation is about whether or not he saw what he needed to see. It's absolutely absurd. Absolutely absurd. Uh, there is a proposal in the state legislature to waive the state spending cap. We're going to let you hear a little bit of what's happening um, in the House of Representatives and the Senate in, in the state legislature and what might happen to get this thing passed. All of that's coming up here in just a few moments. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. There is something that's being talked about. I, we've talked about it yesterday. We've talked about it a bunch of times. The AEL, or the Aggregate um, ed, uh, Expenditure Limit, uh, that is being tossed around in the uh, in the state legislature. This is uh, AZ Family talking about this and kind of explaining what the AEL is. The AEL has been in place since 1980 and adjusts each year based on school attendance from the prior school year and inflation. So it limits the amount of money that can be spent on education. Now, why this was passed, you know, you, you can go look it up. But the fact of the matter is, as we know in our propositional form of government, when a proposition is passed, whether it's gotten whether it's gotten on the ballot by signatures or by the legislature, when the voters vote in a prop on a proposition and they vote affirmatively, it goes in and it changes the Constitution in a way that it takes a two thirds majority of the House and the Senate to override it. So we've been talking about this a lot. Well, mostly I talk about it because it's a shining example of why our propositional form of government, A, is lazy and B, does not work necessarily because as good as something might be when you pass it in your mind, 15, 20, 30, 40 years down the road, is there still value in it? And if there isn't, you run into this. So this I just this is what's on the line. This is the same report from AZ Family. This is what school districts stand to lose if there isn't a two-thirds majority vote in the House and the Senate. Depending on the school district's size, schools could be forced to cut anywhere from hundreds of thousands of dollars to over $80 million worth of funding from their budget come April 1st of this year. This could mean furloughs, layoffs, and even school closure. So, you know, there's always been an argument about school spending in Arizona. Do we spend enough? Are we spending too much. There are people out there that don't want to see any more spending without accountability. But this is money that's already been allocated. The state legislature has already agreed on the budget part of this. This is money that is already allocated for the school districts across the state of Arizona. This is not an increase in spending. It is allowing them to spend the money that's already set aside for education in Arizona. The districts have budgeted for it, and now they can't they can't use it unless this happens. It is frustrating to me. I keep talking about it. Because are they going to pass it every year? Is this going to continue to come up or will they once and for all override it and get rid of it? But I still think the core of the problem is our propositional form of government ties the hands of the legislature. Now, we all have had issues with one or more legislators. Sometimes we're frustrated with them as a body, the House or the Senate, the House and the Senate, who knows? We could be frustrated with the lack of action on a certain issue or the direction they've gone on an issue or the things that they argue about and debate or the laws that they make, but we have a representative republic and it's lazy for voters 
It's lazy of voters. That's us, the electorate. It's lazy of us not to be informed on the people we elect. We should know who we're electing. We should know who represents us in the state legislature. We should be informed on where they stand on issues, and we should be in contact with them. One of the first things I figured out when I started to get more involved politically, and this was around 2003, 2004, when I started to get more engaged, I was very pleasantly surprised at how accessible my legislators were. That it's not like you know, when you call a congressman's office, and this is not an insult, it's just an observation, that when you call a congressman or a congresswoman's office, uh, you generally get staff. You don't get right to a person. And it may take time to actually get a return call because of the enormity of the district or whatever else. In the state legislature, the districts are fairly small, and the legislators are generally speaking very accessible, where you can make a phone call or send an email, and you can get a response most of the time if you want one from the legislator themselves. You can talk to them about why they stand on an issue or where they stand on an issue, voice your concerns. All of that's available. So in a, in, a, in a representative form of government that we have, we are supposed to not be lazy voters. We are supposed to elect people that are like-minded, that go down to the legislature and work on pieces of legislation that we find to be beneficial. To circumvent that by putting things on the ballot by virtue of a proposition I think is raw democracy. I think it's lazy, and I think sometimes it has adverse effects, and we're seeing that right here. I think this is one of those signs of where it's – now, this is Representative Matt Gress. He's from – from uh, LD4, and uh, I want you to hear work what they're working on. This is uh, our responsibility, and I'm going to work very hard to ensure that we rise to the occasion and make sure that our schools uh, remain open for the rest of the school year. And I'll be honest with you. I don't have a doubt that they are going to get this passed. They will um, because it's political suicide not to. But there's going to be political wrangling. There's going to be hand wringing. There's going to be debate. There's going to be arguing. There's going to be negotiations before it happens. And it shouldn't. This is not something that should have to happen. So what do we do? I mean, long term, how do we ever get rid of the propositional form of government? I think it's going to be very, very difficult. People say it takes away the people's voice, and it absolutely doesn't. Even our founding fathers thought that a raw democracy was absolutely the most lazy form of government. And I agree. We should not be doing it that way. And this is just one of the, the, the byproducts of having something that I think is a faulty system. We're going to talk about the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. coming up in a few minutes. Um, the committee chairs have been ratified. We're also going to talk about a vote they had to abolish the IRS. Is that even a possibility that we get to a more fair tax and some other things that are happening on the House floor in Washington, D.C.? So we're going to get to all of that coming up here in just a few moments. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, a quick reminder, if you think you have the oldest AC in the Valley, you could win a brand new high-efficiency AC with an air purifier, courtesy of the people at Day and Night Air Conditioning. You could just text the word DAY to 411-923 to enter right now. That's DAY to 411-923. Remember that message and data rates may apply. 
Uh, interesting. They have now ratified the new GOP committee chairs. Uh, so what there is obviously going to be a shift in what is prioritized in the House of Representatives, how this will play out with the Democrat-run Senate and the Democrat holding the White House, we shall see. But they are already working on some things that are controversial to some, but we'll see what happens here. The House is to vote on a bill that would abolish the IRS and replace it with an income tax with a fair tax, uh, more like a consumption tax. So the bill, which has a near zero chance of becoming law during this Congress, envisions simplifying the tax code by scrapping the income tax, payroll tax, corporate tax, gift taxes, and death taxes altogether, and replacing them with a nationwide consumption tax on goods and services. The IRS as an entity would also be killed by the legislation. So, so many of us uh, argue about the, the phrase, pay your fair share, or the sentence, pay your fair share. What exactly is fair? We, I, I don't think our income tax system is fair. Um, I don't think it's fair at all. But I, what's interesting about it is the more money you have, <clears throat> the, more, the ability you have to hire accountants and lawyers and find loopholes in the tax code. What's interesting is for somebody like myself, I don't own a whole lot. But it's complicated to do my taxes, and some of you may find yourself in the same position because you would like to save as much as you can. I don't think anybody wants to pay any more taxes than they're responsible to pay. We talked earlier, and we're going to talk more about this moving forward, about waste in the government because that's another part of the frustration for people is they don't feel like they're getting value for the taxes that they pay. That we are spending all of this money we're putting into the federal government and it's going down and it's being wasted. Redundancy, waste, loss, um, lack of oversight. We, we all feel it. And that's a big frustration for a lot of people. But what? why don't we have a more simplified system? And people have been asking this question for years. And now when you have some people that are trying to do something about it right away at the beginning of this story, it says there's almost zero chance, zero chance that it gets passed in this Congress. So this idea of the political warfare of class warfare, you know, it's frustrating to me because I don't think it does any good. The demonization of people that have wealth. And I know, you know, you, you know, you're getting older when you're talking about the good old days and how things used to be. But I remember a time when people of means, when wealthy people were held up as an example of achievement, because I, I, this, is a, this is something I believe to be true almost all the time. Wealth is usually follows success. That if you're successful at something, if you are the best heart surgeon on the planet, if you're the best plumber in town, if you're the best electrician in town, it doesn't matter what it is. Wealth usually follows if you got you have a unique skill, whether you can sing or you can dance or you're an athlete, when you find yourself being at the pinnacle of whatever those things are, that extreme success usually is followed by extreme wealth. And so we used to look at successful people. And for a lot of people out there, it's about being good at managing your money. It's about being good at running a business. That's why there are a lot of entrepreneurs out there that live their lives in their older years advising younger entrepreneurs on how to manage their money and manage their success, manage their growth so that they become even more successful. And we used to hold people like that up and say, if you work hard – you could accomplish that too. That was the American dream. What we do now is when somebody achieves success and wealth, we demonize them. 
You know, you're putting upon people. You're you're paying people a meager wage and you're making all the money. CEOs of these major corporations are making millions and millions of dollars a year. And there are people that work for this company that don't have health insurance. And we continue to demonize wealth in this country. And the longer we live under this principle of class warfare, nothing like this ever gets fixed. The principle of everybody should pay something to live in this country. Everybody should pay something to live in this great nation and what it affords us. And what it also does is it gives people an investment. If you take people at the lower end of the economic scale and they know that they are going to pay the same percentage of their income that a wealthy person pays, they'll pay less because they make less, but they're going to pay the same percentage. Or it's going to be a consumption tax based on what you buy. So you know if you buy a used car, you're going to pay less in that tax than someone who buys a brand new car. If you know that your investment is there, if you can feel that investment, you're a lot more likely to hold people accountable. If you're someone that gets back everything that you put in or maybe even more than that, if your write-offs and everything else mean you get a big tax return at the end of the year, you know what, what are you invested in? What reason do you have to hold people that are elected to office to spend and manage your money? How likely are you to hold them accountable? You know, uh, this is the the thing that you figure out when you get older is that good and bad don't don't have limitations. There are good people that are very, very poor. There are people that are homeless that would give other homeless people the shoes off their feet if somebody needed them. There are kind people that have very, very little. And then there are people that are very wealthy that spend the rest of their lives giving away what they've earned, that they live to give. Look at a guy like a Shaquille O'Neal. You, he's a, you know obviously a very famous basketball player, but look what he's done with his wealth, and look how he spends his time now. He says, "I don't invest in anything now unless it changes people's lives." He's known for the videos that are put up of him of giving his money away and taking care of people. That to me is a privilege to be able to give. On the other extreme, there there are bad people. There are homeless people that would steal from other homeless people, and there are wealthy people that are greedy, that are miserly. The Ebenezer Scrooge is among us. And it's everything in between. Rich doesn't mean greedy. It doesn't mean that you, um, you know, you screwed people over in order to get where you are. That isn't necessarily how it works. There are honest people and good people across the entire spectrum of race, of gender, of economy, of economic means. And instead of us demonizing someone, why aren't we looking at some of the things that's happening in this way? The last thing I'll say about this as far as fairness and taxes, as I've talked about this many times, the estate tax. We have a death tax in this country. So you have people that have worked hard their whole lives. They have become very successful and they pass it on to their children. And the government comes along and says, we are entitled to take a big chunk of that because you didn't earn that money. That was given to you by someone else. I don't care if it was your parents' estate or not. And the way it affects people here in Arizona and in many other places is with land. If you're a farmer or you're a rancher, the land is worth a huge amount of money. And you may not be making a lot of money. But that land is very valuable. And when you inherit it, how many times do you find out that people are having to sell off their parents' real estate portfolio or big chunks of it? If it's in real estate, then they've got to pay capital gains tax. Then they've got to pay the tax of the death tax. I think it's ghoulish. I think that if we have a government that is so in need of money that we are robbing people's graves, we ought to take a second look at how we're taxing people.
Money's already been taxed. It's been earned. And now I want to pass it on to my children or the people that I love, and they are going to be punished, and the government's going to take part of what I earned because I gave it to someone else. I think it's hideous. And it's a part of our tax system. So why aren't we looking? Why doesn't this have a possibility of passing? It's remarkable to me. Remarkable to me that it doesn't. Um, this was a, this is a funny story that's been floating around, and it is interesting, and it is comical to me in a way. Gas stoves may be banned in the U.S. We're going to talk about this because, again, this is absolutely ridiculous, but it'll be fun to talk about. We'll do it here coming up in just a moment. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. We appreciate you spending some time with the show as always. One more reminder, we've been talking about it all morning and keep it locked in here for KTAR for latest updates and the news all day long. Download the KTAR News app. But Sky Harbor Airport and other airports, all airports across the country were grounded this morning because of a computer glitch with the FAA. All flights have been resumed, but there are still delays. If you're flying out of Sky Harbor today and you have not yet gone to the airport, check with your airline. Make sure your flight's not delayed or get more details on what's happening because it's going to be going on throughout the morning, even though flights have all been resumed across the country. But make sure you get the information. Um, the headline here makes me I, – there there's a reason why I laugh at things like this. Federal agency is considering a ban on gas stoves in the U.S. A report says it's a hidden hazard. In an interview with Bloomberg, U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commissioner said gas stove usage is a hidden hazard, which can cause health issues including respiratory problems in children. Any option is on the table. Products that can't be made safe can be banned. Um, so I want you to hear just a little bit of this. Uh, those of you that have always thought that clean burning natural gas was great. I, I miss, I just moved. I've talked about just moving. And the one thing, the one thing that I don't like about my new home is that it doesn't have gas appliances. My old house did. I loved my gas stove. It's the best way to cook. Restaurateurs will tell you it is the best way to cook is with natural gas. But here is an ABC report on the possible ban. Before you run to get rid of that gas stove, the Consumer Product Safety Commission says they are only opening a public comment period at this point. Medical research, though, shows nearly 13% of childhood asthma cases in the U.S. can be linked to the use of a gas stove. Adding even more concern, many parents are not on alert as most of these pollutants are odorless. For now, experts say be sure to use your range hood and open windows when cooking for ventilation. And if there is eventually a ban down the road, it would only apply to new appliances. So now your gas stove can become a uh, a very, very uh, lucrative thing because if they aren't going to make new ones, imagine how much you could sell your gas stove for. They go on. They talk about some cities have already banned gas stoves. Nearly 100 cities have already banned gas hookups in new construction in an effort to eliminate fossil fuels in apartment buildings. And New York's governor calling for a ban on gas appliances statewide. So states and cities are taking action earlier. Does anybody remember there were years ago? 
ago. I can't remember if it started in New York and it moved to L.A. or if it started in L.A. and it moved to New York. They were banning what restaurants could cook with. They wanted to make sure there weren't trans fats. They wanted to make sure it was healthy in what they were uh, what they were frying things in. So they they were trying to make legislation that re- re- required restaurants to cook with uh, with with oil that wasn't as fatty. So it didn't. Uh, this is just the overreach here is just amazing to me. So here's the asthma correlation. This is the asthma. It's always, always it affects children. At the heart of the issue is medical research showing nearly 13 percent of childhood asthma cases in the U.S. can be linked to the use of a gas stove. It's one of multiple studies looking into chemicals that enter our homes through stoves. CPSC, the consumer product that we just talked about, the consumer product safety um, that CPSC has not proposed any regulatory action on gas stoves at this time. Any regulatory action by the commission would involve a lengthy process. Agency staff plans to start gathering data and perspectives from the public on potential hazards associated with gas stoves and propose solutions to those hazards later this year. Commission staff also continues to work with voluntary standard organizations to examine gas stove emissions and address potential hazards. I, I just – it's always something. Now, is this going to become the new the new thing? What I mean by that is this going to be the new big story. Restaurateurs across the country have been interviewed. There was one I saw this morning. They say it's going to absolutely ruin the industry, the restaurant industry, if they have to cook with electric stoves. This has been going on for, I don't know how many years we've been cooking with natural gas. Um, people heating their homes. We talk about heating oil and what – this is – a. a it is so overblown. And, of course, New York. Let's go to New York. This is the governor of New York talking about New York appliances. I'm proposing a plan to end the sale of new fossil-powered heating equipment by 2030 by calling for construction of all new construction to be zero emission starting in 2025 for small buildings and 2028 for large buildings. Fossil-powered heating that is a pretty ominous name, fossil-powered heating. So um, I had in my previous home, I had a gas dryer, a gas water heater, which was outside because I wanted to poison my neighbors as well. And then I had a gas stove that I used. And I love my gas appliances. They were terrific. Uh, very inexpensive to run. It cost me less than 30 bucks a month for all my cooking and all of my drying of clothes and all the hot water that I needed to use. cost me less than 30 bucks a month to run all those appliances um, with natural gas. It's inexpensive. Uh, I, I just look at this and think, okay, so someone caught on to this story, and now all of a sudden there's a possibility of this. They're warning right at the beginning. The headline says they may be banned. Then you start to read the story. It's going to be a long process. Um this is something else. So, you know, make sure if you want to save the children that we get rid of the gas operated. And, and then uh, again, I'm going to ask the question I asked about electric vehicles. What are we doing to electric grids now if we get away from all of these gas powered or what they call fossil powered uh, heating equipment? Uh, what we're going to do coming up just after 10 o'clock, uh, we're going to talk about pessimism. The American public is pessimistic about 2023. How does the American consumer feel about a, ga- uh, you know, a whole bunch of things, including the economy? So we're going to talk about that coming up in a few moments.